Hello and welcome to the latest episode in our University of Exeter Alumni Business Podcast, where we've been bringing you regular content, including interesting alumni stories, the latest research from our academic staff and discussion on current global issues. Uh, I'm Josh Papanicola, Alumni Manager in the Business School, and today I'm joined by Justin Featherstone, who's one of our Exeter Centre for Leadership Fellows and also one of our Exeter alumni himself. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Justin. Good afternoon. Um, thank you for joining us today, Justin. Um, I was wondering if firstly you'd be able to tell our listeners a bit about your background and, and what you do with the business school. Uh, my background is a military one, so I spent 18 years as an infantry officer, uh, commanding in various places and finishing up my time as head of leadership at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst. Uh, and I left at the end of 2007 and since then I've been involved in leadership development and I lead expeditions around the world, about 35 major expeditions, the rainforests, mountains and whitewater rivers of the world. Uh, and since about 2011, I think, uh, I've been involved with the business school through the old, what was the Centre for Leadership Studies and now the Exeter Centre for Leadership, uh, where I'm a leadership fellow. I'm also a part-time member of the faculty for the Degree Apprentice Senior Leader MBA. Fantastic. Um... And Justin, you're here today um, to talk through um, some research you've been doing. Uh, you spent three weeks earlier this year living in a cognac village in Nagaland in India, learning about leadership from face-tattooed warriors who were once known for headhunting. Do you want to tell us a bit about who the cognacs of Nagaland are and why you undertook the visit? Yes, yeah, so, so the cognacs are one of the, uh, I think, the largest of the Naga groups. So the Nagas are simply the many tribes. Uh, and they live very close to the Burmese border. And I specifically went to see the cognacs of Lower Cognac uh, yeah. for two reasons. Uh, one is they were one of the last groups to stop taking heads. And the other was they have quite a unique leadership system in as much as every village group is ruled by a king, um, although it's slightly less in these days. Uh, but there's still always a king present and each village group has its own language. So I thought that with those two ideas, it might be very interesting to understand from them uh, what leadership uh, means conceptually and actually what it looks like in practice. OK, and, and what you found out about their style of leadership was quite surprising, wasn't it? Uh, you would think that with a tradition of taking heads, so as in cutting off the heads of your, your enemies, both men, women and children, uh, for centuries to help with fertility and good harvests. And then really for the last century or so, only for trophies, so uh, uh, for kudos and as an expression of power uh, and status, that a leadership might have uh, be attached to the idea of the charismatic or the, the very masculine um, directorial autocratic leader. Uh, what I found was something very different, that against this backdrop of a, a brutal um, custom, uh, there was uh, an absolute focus on the idea of kindness as something all pervasive through the communities and in particular what is required of a leader. Fascinating. So as you as you alluded to there, many listeners, I'm sure, will, will um, be trying to understand how and the expectations of that kind of directorial autocratic system, um, given the kind of very brutal history of violence, um, match up with what you actually discovered. 
um, a leadership based on kindness and collaboration. From your time spent with the Cognacs, how did the two coexist and, and work together? Um, I think when I came to reflect upon it, there are many similarities in the martial culture of the British Army, for instance, where the motto for the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst is serve to lead. So this idea of the leadership, the leader as servant to its community and the people they look after. Uh, for the Cognacs, they're a patriarchy. So the king had absolute right to rule and it was only ever a man, although his his Anya, uh, his queen, um, was still a very powerful woman. Um, but what became clear was you may have the absolute right to rule over your subjects, but that does not mean that you will be an effective leader or your community will be effective. And what is clear to every man and woman I spoke to was that power in isolation is ineffectual. Uh, and even looking at it cynically, it just doesn't work. But there was something more than that. And there was uh, something behind the idea of uh, one woman said to me, um, of course, kindness is so important. Uh, why would we listen to anybody who doesn't have kindness at their heart? In other words, somebody who's not kind hasn't got anything worth to, uh, listening to. Uh, and that became even more clear when uh, a number of leaders, so various, so there's a lot of deputy kings and there's leaders of different sections of the village, uh, also said that without challenge to how I'm thinking, that's going to be no good. Uh, I need different ideas, but perhaps more importantly, um, I am only here to help those around me, to look around and look for those who are carrying heavy burdens on their shoulders and look for ways to make them lighter. Um, so this idea of uh, vocation and service and leadership as only something for those around you, uh, and that only works with compassion and kindness. Okay, and so there was a, the, the name of this concept you told me about previously, Makapu. What, what do you think business leaders today can learn about this uh, ethos um, that you discovered from your time with the Cognacs and how can they apply it to their style of leadership today? So Matt Kapu uh, doesn't really bear a, a prescripted um, translation, but roughly speaking, it is standing for the truth of things. In other words, before I make any kind of decision, carry out any kind of act, I must understand the full consequences in all their senses and I must think them through. Uh, and this is incredibly important. For a people who, until the early 1950s, were literally raiding the local villages to take their, their heads, who had been at war for centuries and in bad months would lose 30 or 40 villagers to raids on their own village or raids they were conducting. Um, it would be easy to think that a idea of just do what I say because that's quicker, more expedient, that we haven't got time, that would be all pervasive. There was something much clearer to me as I spoke to these face tattooed warriors. So if you had been part of a successful headhunting party, you could have your face tattooed by a queen. So these are the last men who will ever bear facial tattoos. Uh, and what they made clear was that if we only live in the moment and we don't think into the future, so strategically in business terms, um, then decisions we make. Uh, can be based on emotions, certainly on short term gains, but they will rarely be for the good of the community as a whole. And so 
sometimes it is much wiser, even if you are in the right, to just walk away. So they say to do matcap, to understand that that action, you may feel better, but it doesn't help anybody in the long run. And actually, because you know that you have right on your side, that should be enough. And so for me, there's two things that spring from it. One that has been the extensive discourse over leadership with humanity during the uh, COVID-19 crisis, where actually people have not been looking at their dashboards about market growth as market share, sorry, you know, market penetration percentage, because it's irrelevant. What they have been doing is spending a lot of time checking in on their people uh, to ensure that they're all right. Uh, and that idea of connection when we're all working remotely, uh, focusing on making time for people, uh, that is so important. And I think the Cognacs have been doing it for centuries. And I would argue that if an organisation which remains very successful, uh, they uh, so the modern generation will all go to high school, uh, virtually all will go to university and Half of them will get degrees, half of them get diplomas. And then the vast majority will return back to their villages. So in that group that, is, that has really flourished doing what is done based on this idea of Matkapu is because to maintain a level of high operation intensity in volatile, uncertain uh, and ambiguous circumstances uh, with the complexities that VUCA, the term that we talk about, um, you need to have real connection and you need to have a coherent sense of who we are. And so they do that. The other thing is short term gain is rarely good for sustainability in all its senses. And that is very clear to people who live off the land. These are flash and burn farmers. They're rotational farmers who also hunting, as just as you probably guessed, has been part of their way of life ever since uh, their oral history began. Uh, and so this idea of spending time with people to ensure that there is a true connection, uh, weighing up every action for its true impact in the longer term uh, and understanding that everyone needs to have a voice. So important is this idea of discourse, conversation, challenge and spending time with each other that the network of pathways around the village and the village I was at was called Xinghai Qingyu. Um, uh, there's a series of what they call NOLACs every few hundred meters and a NOLAC is a place to have accidental meetings because they realize that Scheduled meetings normally have an agenda driven by one or a couple of people, rarely everyone there, and they're not so effective. So when we bump into people, we have to make it appropriate. And so they'll always plant a tree that bears fruit and gives shade. They'll put uh, logs or stones for people to be seated to encourage people to sit down and take the time to pass the time, ask each other how they are. And of course, in doing so, strengthen that sense of the organisation. I think those things, so organisation, casual accidental meetings, uh, focus on the well-being of those around you, the courage to stand for the right thing, um, and creating space and time to think about those things. Uh, and perhaps what is really important is, although the king has less power than he used to, because there's now a, an elected chairman uh, who, who leads the village council, the king is still a, a, a pretty important figure, is... Uh, for the king, status is not enough uh, if it is not backed up by the actions and the glue that binds these villages together, who were martial, if you like, the equivalent of minor regiments, um, that binds them together is a sense of we and a sense that 
everybody matters and everybody will make time for those around them. It's truly fascinating. The, um, do we have any idea or is there any record of for how long, especially with the concept of, and excuse me for my pronunciation, Makapu, is it? Do we have any um, concept of how long they've been using these ideas for or, or when they were established? Almost impossible to say. So uh, with the issues of the cognac uh, languages, the dialects, the fact that every village group. So there were seven primary kingdoms. Uh, the kingdom that, so the village that I went to was the head village. has about 10,000 people in it. The largest one probably had about nearly double that, if not larger than that, uh, is that they're an oral tradition. Um, and although, and, and that people read and write now, uh, but of course it's not in their own language uh, because it's just too difficult because they've tried a common cognac tradition that doesn't work. All it does seem clear is that these traditions are are very old, uh, that they are, that they, they certainly go back multiple generations and, and it probably is not too much of a stretch to say centuries. Um, in this, uh, and it goes back to their belief system uh, and their belief system is primarily animist, but there is an idea of a, a father sort of overseer come creator figure, Hagen Jungang. And the idea of Makapu was act as if you always believe that Hagen Jungang is looking over you. Uh, and that same idea, I think of just, is the, is the one that the test always gave to my soldiers. Uh, act as if you were looking at the, into the eyes of your grandchild in years to come and knowing that you, that what you had done was right. Um, and so old, I, th I think is, is the best I can do. Uh, and they have some charming stories. So the reason they say they have no language was when uh, the first king was handing out dialect. He gave uh, one tribe, got the dialect etched into a stone and off they trotted. Another had it um, burnt into bark and off they trotted. Uh, and the, the cognacs, uh, they had drawn it onto leather. And the, the runner then ran towards his people. But after half a day, he stopped and he ate the leather. And they were saying that if it's got four legs and it's not a table, we'll eat it. Uh, and, that's, and that's sort of that's sort of how things go. And they will eat absolutely anything. Excellent stuff. Um, the um, the bit you said about um, accidental meetings um, made me laugh to myself as well, just because that's I think that's a common theme at the business school in um, the Latouche uh, cafe that we have. I know I find myself having lots of accidental meetings in there, but they always end up very useful. Um, so um, final question from me, Justin. Um, what's on the horizon for you in terms of future research? Are there any other um, leadership studies you're looking at? Um, tell us a bit about that. Uh, so this was my third, uh, sort of specifically focused on learning um, about leadership from Indigenous groups. There are at least two more groups I'd like to spend time with. Uh, one is I would like to follow the camel caravan on the salt trail in Mali uh, from Timbuktu to the salt mines and back, which is uh, biannual. Uh, and I would like to go to British Guiana to spend time with the indigenous groups there because they're, they're relatively under, un, unstudied compared to other parts of the Amazon because it's just a quite a strange location. So those two, and then maybe Bhutan, because there are certain groups up in the hills where 
there's actually a shortage of women. So there are fewer women than men uh, in the demographic, uh, demographically speaking. So it is quite common for uh, uh, for polygamous marriages, but with one man marrying, uh, sorry, one woman marrying two brothers. And, right. I, and I, so that in terms of turning the, some of the old leadership tropes on the head, I think could be really interesting. So those are the sort of the three uh, that I, I, I think about. And I need to go back to the Kabaker Indians in Costa Rica, the Otterfish in Bangladesh, and, and at some point go back to the Cognacs too. Excellent stuff, every corner of the globe. Um, uh, well, <laughs> well, thank you very much, Justin, um, for joining us today. That, that was excellent stuff and um, appreciate you giving the time to talk to us and share your work with our listeners. Um, that's the end of our podcast today. So thank you to everyone for listening and look out for the next Alumni Business podcast soon.